welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one delectable page of Talmud every day. Even though today's stuff mentions and talks a lot about something that, you know, some of us may find very appetizing, others may find a little bit off-putting, we're talking bones. Here's a little snippet. The Gemara adds, And who is the Tanah who differentiates between a Paschal lamb that had a time when it was valid and one that did not have a time when it was valid? It is Rabbi Yaakov, as it was taught in the Baraita. The verse states, And you shall not break a bone in it. And the emphasis of the expression in it teaches that the prohibition applies only to a valid Paschal lamb and not to a disqualified one. Rabbi Yaakov says, If an offering had a time when it was valid and then became disqualified, it is subject to the prohibition of breaking a bone. If it did not have any time when it was valid, it is not subject to the prohibition of breaking a bone. Rabbi Shimon says, with regard to both this and that, whether the offering was valid at some point or not, once it becomes disqualified, it is not subject to the prohibition of breaking a bone. And to discuss bone-breaking and paschal sacrifices and our approach to all of that, it is my pleasure to welcome Adina Silverman, who is a dentist out in Chicago, but also a thinker and a writer about issues of Torah and Talmud and food, uh, as we will learn in just a little bit. Adina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Leo. It's really my honor to be here. I appreciate your introduction, and I can't wait to dive in. It is a pleasure. So tell me, we read about the breaking of the bones and, you know, yeah, we, we get why bones matter just from, you know, animal cruelty perspective. But what is the significance of that phrase, and you shall not break a bone in it, that we read in today's stuff? So it actually came up in the Parsha of the week a couple of weeks ago, in Parsha Bo, if I believe, um, and you shall not break a bone in it. And to me, that phrase, it stuck out when I read the Parsha Hashavua, which I try to do every single week. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But I noticed that that phrase, God commanded that phrase to the Jewish people and to Moshe, kind of like 20, 30 psukim after he already commanded the Jewish people about the korban and all the laws pertaining to it, and that you were supposed to keep it for four days in your household and all the, what to eat it with. And then all of a sudden, about 20, 30 psukim later, God is saying, okay, and here are the people who shouldn't eat it. And also don't break a bone in it. And to me, that was kind of striking. There's obviously significance in every single word of the Torah and every single phrase in the Torah and why they come in and when they come in. And to me, a couple of sources, including the Sefer Hachinah, do actually point out that it's so important that God separates these technicalities in the mitzvah and the korban pesach because our attention, despite leaving in haste, from Egypt, despite kind of this moment of, oh my God, we're getting out. This is, I can't believe this is happening. We have to treat even the bones in the Korban Pesach, even something that you would normally kind of not think about as something very significant and eat it and eat the Korban in a very defined way because we are becoming a nation of God. We're becoming a dignified people. And from beforehand, the Jews are just slaves. They don't really know this kind of dignified, royal way of life. And God is saying, wait, I'm about to take you out of Egypt. You're about to become a people and you're about to become this prized people that are my children. And you have to act with dignity and smooth and you can't even break a bone in it. And you can't eat in haste and you can't 
like you were a slave where maybe food wasn't something that you got all the time. And you really just have to take a moment and treat the food as you want to be treated as well. And even nowadays, we know that at our Seder, we treat ourselves as kings. We lean on pillows. We pour wine for our friends and not for ourselves to kind of bring that point home nowadays. So just that phrase alone is significant in that it comes separately. And the fact to me that the DAF is discussing this phrase at nauseam, you know, going into the details of the which sacrifices this is pertinent to and which sacrifices these are not pertinent to just goes to show that the importance of the details is key, that we are the people that care about details and that God is saying to us, we have to be refined. We have to kind of make sure we understand what we're about to embark on in leaving Egypt. I absolutely love this. And it seems to me to be kind of a perfect example of, of something that, that you do very well, right? You have this great way of connecting food and thought, quite literally, especially thought about, yeah. about Torah. So tell us a little bit about your passion project, Portion to Plate, and then I, I want to ask some specific bone-related questions. Oh, sure. Yeah. So Portion to Plate, uh, as we all just said, uh, thank you for that uh, title name. It's it's kind of my passion project. And like we all said, I'm a dentist <laughs> and that's what I, I do for a living. But food is really the way I make people smile is, is what I like to say. And I was kind of toiling with this idea for a while. Years and years, I've been kind of saying, oh, I really want to do like a Parsha-related food or something. And I don't know what took me so long to kind of do it. Finally, this year, I said, you know what, maybe it's because we're all in COVID times and we're quarantined and we want to take on extra things. I said, you know what, with Bereshit starting this year, obviously every year there's a new cycle of the weekly Torah portion. I'm, I'm going to just do it. And I realized I, I'm doing it for myself. I'm doing it for whoever decides to read. But basically what I do is every Shabbat the week before. So, for example, this week is Parshat Mishpatim but I'm going to be reading Teruma just to kind of prepare myself for next week. I sit on Shabbat, I read the basic text from Tanakh, and then I go into many different sources. I read uh, different commentaries, and I kind of come up with maybe just a thought that I initially think of when I read the Parsha and then somehow relate it to food. And some Parshiot are much more simple than others. Some have actual ingredients in them. So for example, the Parsha about the Korban Pesach so clearly talks about, you know, bitter herbs and lamb and matzah, but other partial kind of have to dig a little deeper. And so let me ask you to dig even deeper for today's page and give us something about bones, because, you know, I'm, I'm a very big fan of bones and, and making <laughs> bone broth and, and using bones in oh, every yeah. way I can. But I think a lot of people look at these things and, and consider it to be almost a detritus, you know, the stuff that you throw away at the end of the meal. So what are we to do with the bones? The way you just put it is exactly the way I thought about it, that bones are kind of on the uglier side of ingredients, so to speak. They can kind of be grotesque and, and repulsive, but the way I look at it is they're a beautiful addition to cooking because they add intense flavor and they also have that nutrient bonus. So that can also be related to kind of your everyday life, that you have to kind of look beyond their physical appearance. Maybe they're ugly, maybe they're grotesque, but at the end of the day, they are fundamental as they obviously support us from the bone marrow to our physical being and, and hold us up. And we kind of have to see beyond that surface. So maybe we have to not judge a book by its cover or dig a little deeper to understand what is under the surface. But it's kind of a nice message to 
relate to the rest of your lives. And the same way, like I said, bones are kind of ugly, but they provide this beautiful, amazing richness to soups and stews and nutrient bonuses. So yeah, I mean, there's so much we can do with them. And you mentioned specifically bone broth. Bone broth is not for everybody. It's very heavy and kind of that meaty, almost like livestock flavor, if you will. But implore you all to try this little trick that I'm going to share here. That if you're making your regular chicken soup for Shabbat, which is a lot of water with hearty vegetables like carrots, celery, leeks, onions, and chicken with some bones in it, I want you to go to your butcher shop this week and pick up a very meaty, cartilage-heavy beef bone. And you may have to call your butcher shop in advance because they usually do throw the bones out. People don't generally buy bones on a day-to-day basis. And what you're going to do is you're going to bring that delicious bone home and you're going to raise your oven temperature to about 425 or even 450 and roast that bone and that meaty you know, piece of bone with cartilage for about 25 to 30 minutes until it gets actually pretty brown. And what that does is two things. The first thing is it kind of cuts that gamey taste out of the equation. And the second thing is it really gives it like a nice brown roasted flavor. And then once that is roasted, you're going to put it into the soup that you have on the stove. And I would implore you all to start this super early in the morning. And you're going to just bring that to a boil and then simmer for, I don't know, five, six hours for as long as that cartilage takes to kind of relax and get super flavorful into your soup. And I will tell you that your chicken soup will never be the same. It's it's something that I do only occasionally, but when I do, I always say, oh, I should really do this every week. Um, and it's really, really special. And you'll feel like a, this kind of boost of energy for the next couple of months of winter and coming from and speaking from Chicago, I can tell you it's <laughs> very cold. So this will definitely keep you warm. And what I will say is one more thing. You may notice that your soup is a little bit more kind of like gelatinous, more so than normal. When you do heat the soup back up, that gelatin will kind of dissipate and and boil down. So if it looks a little bit unappetizing when you take it out of the fridge, maybe the next day or a couple days later, just boil it back up and those nutrients will just make you feel amazing. Friends, you heard it from the doctor herself. (laughs) Adina Silberman, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you so much, Leo. Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes, Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone, or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.